Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. In today's episode, Chip Frederick will join me. We will talk about the upcoming Major League Baseball draft and Vanderbilt's presence in it both the players who are on the roster and the ones who have signed. This season of the podcast made possible by Jody Jones, DDS. Jody, a former Commodore football player and football booster. When you need dental work, Jody's the guy to go to, whether that is cosmetic or general. Jody is the choice of stars in Nashville. He serves music stars, movie stars, athletes, coaches, all kinds of people Go to Jody for their dental needs. And the reason is the service is great and the atmosphere is incredible too. It is not a typical dentist's office. It is more like someone described to me as a tooth spa. It is relaxing. The people are friendly. The service is great. Go see him today. Jody Jones is at 55 Music Square East, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Thank him for his sponsorship of the podcast because this season would not have been possible without him. Chip Frederick joins me as we talk the draft. Chip, just seems like baseball is a never-ending sport these days. Yeah, it does. And, you know, this is, this is a time of, of these kids' lives that they've always been looking forward to. I think I talked last year in a podcast about how, you know, everyone gets endured to these kids and endeared to these kids, excuse me, and, and uh, you know, they they get attached to them and you see their – their love for their school and their camaraderie among their teammates. And, and that's all great. But a lot of these kids, most of these kids, since they were goodness, 12, 13 years old, have been looking forward to this day. And this day is, is one that um, could make the financial futures of a lot of these kids um, golden. I mean, you're talking about things that they've been dreamed dreaming about and doing these showcase tournaments going all over the country and, making the summer ball circuits and the showcase circuits all worth it. And so there's a little bit of pause. It's, it's, it's a little unusual that, you know, you've had this big event like the college world series and Vanderbilt's case and Mississippi state's case and the teams that were there. And, and that joy is still there for Mississippi state and kind of looking at the 30,000 foot view for Vanderbilt that they, you know, the year they had and taking a step back and seeing what they accomplished. And now it really becomes for those draft eligible of uh, uh, more of a, I don't want to say selfish mode, but they have to think about themselves because deep down inside, when you put this much time and effort into it, these kids, you know, this is what their goal and their dream is to get a big payday or to play pro baseball and start their journey, the next step. And, you know, you and I have talked off the air trying to decipher all this and as far as eligibility and we've got roster management and we've got, you know, signability and, and we've got, uh, you know, what's going to happen with these kids, you know, is, is with the NIL situation. And does that change people's mind as far as if it's kind of a toss up, as far as going to a place like Vanderbilt or an sec school and possibly making some money in endorsements. So there's just a lot of stuff, even you and I, before we went on there are trying to figure out, you know, are they going to classify kids as a year lower who takes advantage of that? All those things. We got a lot to talk about. We do indeed. Do you watch MLB Network much? They had basically a 
probably a good five or ten minute basically promo for Vanderbilt baseball today leading into the draft talking about David Price. They had Tim Corbin and Adam Sparks and I was kind of in and out because I was actually working on the draft profiles this morning. My son was watching it with me, but it's just amazing how they are the it program and just the free publicity they get these days. That's right. And, and you, you know, I probably have not watched, um, did not watch it today. I've, I've watched and heard a lot about it and it is free advertising for Tim Corbin and his staff. I mean, what more can you ask for when you're, promoted over a network that's going to be watched for the next 72 hours almost for people that were baseball nuts uh, all the time and you know when you mentioned David Price Chris Tim Corbin has mentioned before he's mentioned David Price he's mentioned Sonny Gray you know those are two kids that when it came down to it that before Tim Corbin or in Tim Corbin's early years they weren't choosing Vanderbilt you know those kids were not even in many cases kids of that caliber Vanderbilt wasn't even getting a sniff of those kids. And it took, um, and I think that's why Tim has in, in, endeared himself to the, those kids, those guys, those adults now, but at the time kids, because they set the path and they made it cool to go to Vanderbilt. They, but it wasn't cool at the time. And, you know, there have been situations I've had Vanderbilt coaches tell me that they've been laughed out of uh, living rooms before or wouldn't even get a sniff of talking to them, much less being in the living room presenting a scholarship offer or what we're going to do for your kid off type of discussion. And it took a David Price, it took a Sonny Gray, it took those kids, local kids, so to speak, who said, you know what, I'm going to forgo this amount of money and I'm going to put my chips in and I'm going to put my trust in Vanderbilt and in Tim Corbin and see what happens. And it was not a guarantee. It was not something that that was going to just be a definite home run. There was, uh, you know, he talks about how David Price wanted to quit after his freshman year, after the winter of his freshman year, and and go do something else. And you've got Sonny Gray, who had to fight all the obstacles of being too short. That there, you know, they had statistics that starters in the major leagues under five foot ten. There's only a handful of them, and you know, and and he had to fight through all that. So those two kids took the ch- the chance and made it cool and made it respectable to go to Vanderbilt, where others in that situation, you know, the the, the all the way down the Tyler Beatties, which was probably, if I have to say, and you correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, is it safe to say that Tyler Beatty was probably drafted the earliest that decided to go to Vanderbilt? I mean, I know there have been others, but mostly, and there's been a trend there that Beatty really took a chance. Uh, I, if I'm, if correct me if I'm wrong, because yeah, he, yeah, he did. I, I remember they had who was the kid that got picked by Boston, who had cancer, um, the outfielder. Oh, West Ryan Westmoreland. Okay, that was the big one that really rankled them because they thought he was coming, and then he got offered about a million dollars by the Red Sox, and then and then went, and and that's back when a million was you know, enough to change most people's minds. But yeah, there was, that was at a time where when Beatty came, he was one of the first big guys to really probably turn down. I think he turned down $2 million, which was a lot of money now and certainly a lot of money then. But yeah, I think he might've been, you know, you had Price in there, whatever he would have gone for. But I think Beatty was probably a higher regarded arm at the time. Yeah, and and I think so. And And it was just the situation of, 
of you're, you're talking about Tyler Beatty, who if you think back on his last season before he left and, and was drafted by the Giants, he wasn't even really in their major plans in Omaha. I mean, he was not their top. He pitched in his last season, but he was sort of the last several weeks struggling. He was struggling with his, his delivery. He was struggling with he changed things up. He changed his motion. He was just trying to find it. And then you look at a guy who's had a successful, you know, for albeit he's was injured and had the surgery and now just got called back from what I, I'm hearing, uh, called back up to the big team. So the, there's circumstances that happen to where it generally for Vanderbilt, they can point to it and say, you come here, you take the chance on us and it's going to work out for you in the long run, three and four and fivefold if you take the chance and we've got proof and we can show you and we can give you the names. And there's very few, even in the situation with Tyler Beatty, Tyler B didn't have a decorated Vanderbilt career. Like, uh, like, you know, you would have a Carson Fulmer or David Price or Sonny Gray or Kumar Rocker or Leiter. Um, he had a decent career, but it's not something that he, he can, he was all sec accolades and look what's happened. He's, he's pitching in the big leagues now again for the second time around after his surgery. So, there's enough to point to it that, you know, you can come here and you can still be successful and we can get an education at a at top flight academic school and we can show you the path and get you bigger, stronger, faster, and we can help you with technique. And, and so there's proof of it that way as well. So it's just a feeling out period uh, for a lot of these kids. They've, they've got a lot of uh, things on their mind. They've got a lot of things to weigh. I do not know how Tim Corbin and and staff do what they do at this. It's got to be nerve wracking and it's got to be nerve wracking to present the offers too, because they're literally betting on who they think is going to leave and who um, who's going to be signable. And they have to weigh all that. And we've never really had a situation. Maybe we have, maybe we, we just don't know about it where let's just say, you know, there's, I think there's 19 signees, Chris, in this class I've counted that all of them come. You know, all 19 of them come or 16 of the 19 come and they have very few that that, you know, for whatever reason that's in the cards that that year happens. We've never really seen that. And it's just a testament, I guess, to those guys understanding. But what a mess. I, I counted the numbers, 43 roster members of this team. Uh, and then you take five in the portal. And then, of course, it doesn't mean they have to leave. Um, that just in the portal, there was four O'Dowd became the fifth. So 43 minus five, you got, you know, 48, I mean, 38, uh, on the roster and, and unless they change things, the roster limit pre COVID was 35. So they were, they were seven over the roster this year, eight over the roster this year. And so you got some more movement that's going to have, have to happen. Um, based on who gets drafted. You got to decide who this team's going to get drafted for Vanderbilt, who of your incoming class is going to get drafted. Then you have to decide who's going to come back, who's going to be welcome back, who's going to be maybe have a discussion, a very tough discussion as far as, you know, you're not in our plans. And I talked about last week, what a tough decision you've got to make as a head coach. When you recruit someone, you sell them on Vanderbilt, you get them to come to your school, and then you got to tell them 12, 13 months later that we don't have a spot for you. And when you're a Vanderbilt, when you're a Mississippi State, when you're a Texas, when you're a top flight program, you're choosing your recruits, as I said last week. You're not recruiting. You're choosing who you want to come to play for you when you're those top level programs. 
and you're over recruiting every year. You're you're recruiting people to replace the people that you, re- you recruited last year. It's a great problem to have, but it's got to be nerve wracking, and it's got to be. I know I know it's something that no matter what anybody, I'll bet you a hundred bucks, Tim does not enjoy that part of it. But it's the product of the success that this program has had. From what I understand, just doing a quick search, and I, I think this does not extend beyond 2022. I think this was just temporary due to the pandemic, but they're going to have 40-man roster limits for next year, which certainly helps some. Okay, well, that's good because uh, I, did, I, did, I was not aware of that. Good to see, but that's still so – it still helps a little bit, and you and I have talked in years past about how he does it, and you know that's still so. If it's 43 minus, as of today's date, Friday, June 9th, that we're doing this, there's technically probably going to be 38 before you do anything with the recruiting class. And so that's you got to work backwards as far as who goes of, of this roster currently, and then who's going to who's going to sign. Well, and I believe they've already lost, what, five to the transfer portal? I say lost. I don't know that any of them have transferred out. But Romero, O'Dowd, Duff, uh, and a couple of more. I'm trying to pull this up on D1 Baseball. But th- there already have been some defections. Yeah, there's. I think I've counted. O'Dowd was the fifth, which uh, was, uh, was surprising to me. But, you know, he's a kid who went to IMG in Florida and came to Lipscomb and, 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 uh, you know, he's, a, he's a very good infielder. He's, I mean, it's just hard to get a read on, you know, he wants to play and, and these kids want to, as much as I say that these kids have, these kids have dreams about wanting to play major league baseball. They all see themselves playing in Yankee stadium or, you know, and, and, you know, wherever they, they have been dreaming since they were a kid and put the uniform on when they were seven and eight years old, let's step it back a little bit. These kids want to play. They want to play the game and you can't get there if you don't get on the field. And, um, you know, you've got to look at yourself and see your production. Did you get better? Did you get the opportunities that you thought you were going to get? Do you feel like you're losing time by staying here? If you, if you do, who's in front of you, if if I'm uh, if I'm a second baseman shortstop, do I sit there and say, well, Carter Young is coming back, and is Colwitt going to come back? And and these kids know they talk, they know they talk through friends on the team. It's not a direct question they might ask, but they get the indication, and they might be told by the coaching staff that your role is pretty much going to be what it was last year. You're going to be a role player. We're going to need you to come off the bench. You're going to compete. We're going to give you a chance to compete. But the kids aren't dumb. They know so. Not only do these kids have aspirations, 95% of them, uh, as opposed to people, normal people who go to Vanderbilt and want to be a lawyer, a doctor, a contractor, or whatever, they want to be a pro baseball player. And if they're not getting on the field, they, a lot of them are saying, you know, I want to go to someplace else. I want to go to a Lipscomb, a Belmont. I want to go to a, a Western Kentucky or, or uh, a program that's, um, you know, it, maybe in another conference like, you know, Justin Henry Malloy did when he was with Georgia Tech and he found himself at third base. So that's the thing you got to realize they want to get on the field. And, and, and it's a good problem to have if you're the coaching staff. But and, and, and needless to say, these kids, unless they were just blind, had to know that this was going to be the situation when they came here, that they're going to have to compete every day for a spot. By the way, Hogan and Pataro were the other that's two. Right. So yeah, it's, right. it stands at five as of right now, according to D1 Baseball. Okay. All right. Good to know. Let's just get into 
the situation because there's two pools of players we will talk about. One will be the commitments, and the other one will be the kids on the roster. Let's go to the ones on the roster right now, and we will deal with some questions on this in the mailbag. Leiter and Rocker are going to get picked in the top 10. Leiter, the talk was Boston to four. The talk had been that I don't want to say a deal had been brokered because I don't know what the fair language would be there, but sometimes players name an asking price and they know what organization is going to meet it and what might not. Uh, Boston was the talk with Leiter for, I guess, a few weeks. Interestingly now, most of the mock drafts and the, and the people that do these in a reputable manner often are talking to people inside of front offices and scouting departments at MLB franchises. The talk now is that Leiter is two to the Rangers overall. And then you've got Rocker, who has been projected to the Royals around eight more and more. I haven't seen him much lower than that, if at all. Been some talk he could go as high as four or five. But in any case, the big two should be off the board pretty quickly. Yeah, and for those who don't follow the draft closely, there's a big difference between the signing bonus money, the slot money, they call it, that the Major League Baseball recommends to sign these kids. And you're talking about uh, the difference between, you know, I, I'm not throwing million dollars around here, but it's like it's chump change. But it's it is it's serious money, for instance, when you talk about, I'm not going to give exact figures, you know, the Pirates, $8.4 million for the first pick and all the way down to the Rockies at number eight with 5.1 million. So you're talking about a swing of $3.3 million of slot money between those two. And it falls off pretty, pretty significantly to the end of the first round, the Dodgers at 2.4 million. So the 29th pick in the first round, 2.4 million, the Dodgers are the slot for that and 8.4 million for the pirates at the top at number one. And it's so you can see where, you know, when this is your bonus money now. This is the money that a lot, a lot of people think that um, compared to football money that, you know, they get a minimum salary because there is no minor league. So there's, an, there's not a situation where these kids are going to get a big bonus and then they're going to get a huge minimum salary from the Major League Baseball. It doesn't work that way. You get your bonus money is what you stick away and then – let's say Jack Leiter gets picked at number two by the Rangers. Let's just say he gets the $7.7 million in slot money or around that. Then he's going to be living on just like everybody else, you know, uh, next to him on the bus in class A or double A ball, making whatever, $1,200 a month, you know, and eating uh, sandwiches in the clubhouse from Jersey Mike's after the game. And so, this is where you rely on the, the bonus money of the draft. It's so important to these kids, and there's a big drop-off. Unlike football, unlike basketball, it's totally different. So you, and you don't see guys jump all the way to the big leagues. Uh, very rarely, sometimes you, you've seen some kids get called up late in September. So the discrepancy between the money becomes a huge deal, but if you're in a situation like Leiter and he, if he wants to go to the Sox, you know, their slot money is $6.6 .6 versus the Rangers at 7.7, .7, a million bucks, if that's where he really wants to play, and that can be brokered. And I'm not sure how that works. I'm not going to be, I'm not privy to how any brokering or agreements or deals. I uh, have heard that he wants to go to the Sox. That makes sense. Went to school up, up in that part of the country. 
But once you're following, you know, the Pirates were the worst team in baseball last year, and somebody's going to land to those guys. More opportunity to play early there, obviously. But still, you're going to toil in the, in the minor league system for a little bit before you're thrown up to the, the big team. The next tier is pretty much Isaiah Thomas by himself. Thomas was maybe going to get middle second round. I don't think that the NCAA tournament probably helped him. I'm seeing him in the 90s by MLB and Baseball America. I'm seeing him 121 by ESPN. So sounds like to me probably fourth or fifth round at this point, maybe late third for him. Yeah, and, and that's that's where the big discrepancy for money comes to. If you're talking fourth round, it's a little over half a million dollars. Slot money there, $571,400 with the Pirates, the first pick of the fourth round. So you go further, you fall to the bottom, and it goes to 426000 So the money is a huge discrepancy from, from the early rounds to that. Thomas, you know, he did not, with the exception of the catch that everybody remembers down the the right field line, which was incredibly um, impressive. And every single time that Kyle Peterson mentioned him, if I heard it once, and I'm not, I love Kyle. Kyle's the best. I really like listening to Kyle Peterson, but I've heard him multiple times say, you know, um, big risk, big reward type of player. You know, a lot of swing and miss. you know, whether he can, if he can put a charge into the ball, I think he, KP said he was one of the best, could hit the ball farther than anybody in Omaha in the, of those te- eight teams in Omaha. But there is a lot of swing and miss, and there's a little bit of questioning as far as his ability in right field and um, not the desire factor, so to speak, but just if he's as polished to go where he's warranted to go in the first three rounds instead of going in the fourth or fifth. He's going to be an interesting one, Chris to see uh, where he falls um, in this draft. Next, and when, when I say falls, excuse me, I mean where he, where he's, yeah. but I don't think he, I agree with you. I, I don't think he, I don't, he didn't help himself any in Omaha. I don't think um, with his performance. No, I mean, getting pulled from a, not pulled from a start, but he didn't even start. What was it? The Stanford game or the, I don't remember which one, but it was one of the games in the yes, middle of the their Stanford run, yeah, um, right. I mean that that that's not a great look when you're a you know middle of the order bat for your team and and you're not playing. And I know I don't know what happened there. I know injuries are an issue. I also know that he defended poorly the day before that. Um, you know, a couple of balls maybe he could have gotten to, but didn't. But anyway, best of luck to him. I hope it works out. The money, as long as you are picked before one fifteen. Your slot's over a half million. So, you know, it's not been talked about a lot in terms of of him. I, I I think that, you know, of course you lose your leverage, but, you know, he probably lost from the middle of the second round to where he is now about a million dollars. I, I don't know if he comes back. I've not heard any talk about that. I doubt he does. But that that could be a little bit interesting given how far he has fallen compared to where he was. And then, and then you get into the extremely confusing part of how these kids are going to be classified. And if, you know, if he, if he can come back and have another year and he's considered and, and have that wiped off, which I'm thinking he can, then how does he position himself that, all right, I'm going to work on this. I'm going to work on my defensive skills and ride. I'm going to, I'm going to really work in the cage in the off season to, uh, uh, limit the strikeouts, all those things, you know, that's where it becomes the tricky part. Cause in normal years, if you're Tim Corbin, you don't have this, 
uh, lost year or take it just whatever you want to call it, extra year given back to you. So there's that little bit of flexibility that you have. Now, you know, the Vanderbilt program, just like it is, and I'm not just pinpointing Vanderbilt, I'd say it's probably the, the situation with all colleges. Um, you know, Tim and staff run a regiment uh, that it's, it's very, um, it is very, uh, you know, A to B to C to D every day. And you have a routine and you follow that routine. And it's, um, you know, it, it is not for everybody. First of all, it's not for everybody to come to Vanderbilt. It is not the program that any player could just walk into and it gets back to that choosing. They get to choose how they want to come there. And if they don't see the fit and I don't care how good you are, they don't feel like you're a fit for this program, the way they do things, you're not going to have a spot. They're not going to choose you to come to, to ask you if you want to play. And so some kids get to be that third year into the second year, third year. It's just, they want to, they, they feel like, you know, I want to, have a little more independence. I want to, I want to start um, making some money or if it could be family situation. So as much as people are endeared to it, to loving going and playing for Tim, which I think they do, there's a part of some that to be quite honest, just want to move on and do something different and, and, and don't want it for four years. Um, that group in 2019 that won the national championship was unusual. I think there was a little bit of that, Donnie Everett story that they wanted to kind of finish what uh, do that for him. And, and, and they had an emotional roller coaster, a devastating loss of a teammate. And you don't really get to see that very much at a school that's on top as much as Vanderbilt is. So it, on a situation like Thomas, Isaiah Thomas, it, it's going to be, we really don't know what's going on there as far as the family situation, whether he wants to come back, if it's how important it is, if he feel like he can improve his position. Uh, I mean, let's talk about C.J. Rodriguez. You and I laughed. Who knows um, if he can reclassify so he could get drafted this year because of his age. He could get drafted next year if he's going to be a sophomore again, and he could get drafted after his junior year. So he could get drafted three times in three years because of his his situation. So you've got a little bit of that going on too. And, and trying to figure all that out is kind of hard when everything is so vague. Yeah. And let's get to that next tier of players. I, I'm going to, I guess I'm, I'm sort of exempt Rodriguez from the conversation here. He's in that next range of guys that could get drafted after those three. Although I think he's coming back from everything I've heard. I think that he stands to benefit a lot. So we're probably not going to spend a lot of time talking on him. He's considered about the 300th best prospect in the draft, uh, depending on on who you ask. So there's that. Maybe probably more towards the 250s with some. But I think that they'll get him back. The next range of players that this could go a number of ways, Keegan Maldonado-Murphy. I think those three guys, I could see all of them returning. I could see none of them returning. Murphy, to me, probably was the most attractive prospect leaving the season because of just how hard he threw. And even when he wasn't 97, 98, 99, as he's been at times, uh, it still worked at 93 and 94 to where it was virtually unhittable. Maldonado... I don't know what teams are going to think of him. I thought the cutter was tremendous. He had that in the fastball and worked those two pitches pretty well. There's been some talk. I don't know how much basis 
In fact, there is that he might want to come back and develop as a starter, in which case maybe you're behooved to come back. And then Keegan, who I think range of opinions on him could be all over the board. I think the swing and the miss in the SEC production has got to be a concern. Again, he's a first baseman, so the offense has got to be elite to get picked there. It wasn't always elite. I think he's a kid who's really talented and could improve his draft stock by coming back a year. He really has only played one full season. There's also the fact that maybe he could get a little time behind the plate. I wouldn't think it would be much, but Keegan is a catcher, and Keegan is a first baseman are two different things, but how ready he is in terms of his receiving right now from what I saw the one game he caught uh, he was rusty to say the least, and I'm not knocking the kid. That's what happens when you're playing first base and not outfield. You you don't get the practice reps so much, and it shows up in your performance. So none of that to say bad things about Dominic Keegan. I really love him as a player uh, in, in spite of the shortcomings at times, but I think those three guys are going to be very interesting where they go because I think there's a case for any of them to get drafted. I think there's a case for any of them to come back. I mean, all of them would get drafted. I don't think there's any doubt about that, but the question is, what are they talking to scouts in terms of number? What is their desire to come back for another year or any number of variables we could get into there? Those are three very good baseball players that you mentioned, and um, if I had to split hairs about one of them and take one. If I had to choose one, if I'm a scout and I had to recommend a, one of those three to my superiors as being one that I would take uh, the biggest chance on or throw the most money on to try to get him to swing our way. I think it would be Luke Murphy. I think Luke Murphy, he, I think he has a chance to be a big league closer. Uh, he, he has an explosive fastball that gets to the plate when he's on, he's got the body to fill out. The ball jumps on you real, real quick. Um, at once, and I'm not—that's not sliding the other two that you just mentioned because I think Maldonado is a hell of a pitcher, and will be—you know—he has an opportunity to be a, a, a great pro. And then Keegan, like you mentioned, he's had some—I mean, the year this year and the potential there, a lot of pop in his bat. But if you—if you had to say one of those three, I just think Murphy projects more than the other two, uh, just on the fact that you can't teach tall. I mean, you can't just make that up. I mean, in, in his, the body, and I think he's got some things worked on. I, mean, I, I personally think he throws cross his body quite a bit and that could be adjusted. Um, but I, I'm impressed. Those three, I 100% agree with you. It's a toss up. It'd be a great problem to have for them to all to come back or two of the three to come back. Um, the draft, I mean, you know, I don't, the draft being shorter this year because of the collective bargain agreement going from 40 rounds to 20 rounds. And last year, of course, if you remember, it was only five rounds. So you wonder how that's going to play. And, and, and remember folks that are listening, this slot money is suggestion. And if they don't sign a kid early, that money gets deducted off the, they can, or they can kind of divvy that money up for a kid in the later round where if they'll say Luke Murphy, what is he projected, Chris? Have, have, have there been any projections on Murphy? Oh, it depends. Baseball America, I'm not trying to knock BA. Their ratings were all over the place. Like, they didn't even have Maldonado or Murphy in their top 500. I looked at some of their write-ups. It looks like they were done before the season. And again, I'm not knocking them. They've only got so many people to yeah. do so many write-ups. But I don't trust BA as much as I used to. Because of that, I can't believe that they're neither 
in the top 500 draft prospects. No, perfect game, which is only rating college players. It's not taking into account high school players. So this is not what they think of where he will go. Has Maldonado's the 146 guy and its opinion among collegiate players eligible for the draft. And Murphy, 45. I am guessing that D1's eval on that rating was a lot more recent. Obviously, if you watched Vanderbilt to any degree in the postseason, you couldn't escape seeing Luke Murphy, and he pitched very well in the postseason. Uh, maybe then that uh, with the Georgia Tech outing aside, and in that one he threw a ton of pitches and was pretty good at times in that, even, even though there was a home run in there. So point being, I think evals have been all over the place. Uh, it's weird to see guys who are in MLB's top 250 at times, and I'm not talking to Vanderbilt here, but just I looked at all the players. There's some guys that MLB.com has in their top 200 that BA doesn't have, and it's 500. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you just see some weird things this year. I'm guessing that's affected by the pandemic and where you could watch and, and all sorts of things. But to circle back to what you asked me, Range on Murphy. D1 thinks more of him than anybody else. Perfect game has him the number 250 prospect for the draft. I'm not sure how much I trust perfect game on draft ratings at this time, given that that expertise is somewhere else. And then MLB's got him at 220, which I don't know. I, I just have a feeling that Murphy gets picked higher than that if he wants to go. But I could be wrong. I just thought he looked that good late in the season, and it was hard to ignore what was right in front of you. Yeah, and and remember, it is what these players are projected to be in two and three and four years, and not what they're projected to be in June of 2021. Uh, and and there's a different perspective of a guy who's taken in the top ten picks and a guy who's taken in the second or third round that you really want a part of your program and you like the way he his stature and his arm slot and his his, his how hard he works and his smarts and all those things have taken up that we're two and three years down the road they project. I mean, I'd love to, it would be an, a fun experiment also to maybe someone on your board could do this to, to list the players that barely got a sniff while they were at Vanderbilt who are pitching very successfully or made it to the big leagues. I mean, there there are guys who, I think I said this a couple weeks ago, guys who maybe in their career had 10 and 12 and 13 innings under their belt got drafted in the third or fourth round. And you're sitting there going, who? I remember that guy pitched against, you know, South Alabama, but I don't remember it. And then they get drafted and it's all based on projection. And um, it is based on the way they see them um, down the line. So there's, there's a lot of kids. Someone, you know, there's not a ton, but I'd say there's 10 to 12 kids who have I, mean, I forgot who it was who was the kid Chris who ended up playing for the Reds um or or the, the, the he played for the Tigers there was a kid Drew Verhagen yeah I mean he how many innings did he pitch at Vanderbilt not many well he was only there one year and he was in the rotation but he was a he wasn't a guy that when I watched him thought this is a big leaguer right yeah, and there was someone else who played for the Reds if I if I remember correctly that made it up that hardly pitched much at all. So there, there's a f- instances where that happened uh, throughout. And Nick Cristiani, the- I think, made the bigs with the Reds. Is that who you're thinking? Although uh, Cristiani pitched a lot at Vanderbilt, so yeah, that's not him. Yeah, there was him. someone else, and I'm sorry, I don't, I don't have the name. But there, there's a few guys that have come along that, um, that just 
didn't pan out at Vanderbilt for whatever reason, and they ended up doing really, really well. I mean, there's um, there's just there's no rhyme or reason. It doesn't just happen at Vanderbilt. It happens at other programs. There was a oh, there was a guy who I played against in the summer league, and and when I, my last year, um, and he was from Nashville, Van Landingham, Billy Van Landingham. Yes. I think pitch for the to, Giants. Yeah. Now he went to Kentucky, and that guy hardly played at Kentucky. I mean, I want to say he maybe pitched 12, 15 innings in his career. And the next thing you know, he's in the big leagues playing for San Francisco Giants. And you're sitting there going, well, I mean, I was playing summer league against that guy. He was a little bit younger than me. And he just, one of those kids who developed late, uh, who absolutely just, um, for whatever reason, blossomed late and, and his career was short in the big leagues, but he did make it. And, and it was impressive. Two more guys among current players who were on big league radar that to me are, well, one's a wild card. One is probably not so much. Hugh Fisher just was not able to pitch effectively for very long this year. I figure he'll get drafted somewhere maybe in round 10, around that time, maybe a little bit after and probably go. Ethan Smith is a wild card because mm-hmm. – the pros know about him. He's got ability. We've seen it. Again, I just tell people, if you want to remember what kind of pitcher he can be, go back and look at his freshman numbers, which were excellent. So I think it's a case with him. Does a particular club fall in love with him, offer him enough money to go? If not, I could easily see him coming back if he can get full health and, and being in the rotation and pitching well. So that's another swing player. Yeah. And, and I, I'm a big fan of Ethan Smith. I love the way his demeanor on the mound, the way he pitches and attacks the strike zone. It, it, he is going to be one to watch because therein lies, you know, I, I, I would categorize Fisher, Ethan Smith, those two guys as being guys that, didn't pitch a whole lot this year, you know, and Smith, uh, of course, had that nice outing against LSU and then the COVID issues and then had some arm issues. But you wonder if those two guys are, you know, those are going to be discussions that are going to have to be made if they haven't already, not necessarily encouraging them to go, pushing them out the door saying, you know, look, if you, if you have an opportunity to sign, you should. But th- those are the fringe players that are going to be, you know, you really love to have them back for depth, but what are you going to do for building out the roster for new guys coming in? And that that's, those are two guys that, um, you know, they're, they, their numbers were not, there weren't a whole lot of data on them this year to say, well, they're going to step right in and be starters or, you know, you're going to have uh, Fisher be a big bullpen guy or Ethan Smith step in the rotation. They have certainly have the talent talent to do so, but that's where the roster management comes into place where I have no idea how they do it because it's just right now starting, you know, they'll, they'll know after the draft, it's a three-day deal draft, you know, you start getting some feelers next week and as far as, um, and a lot of times these coaches are the last to know. You know, Tim Corbin talks about how, because of the NCAA rules and the way they're set up about contacting these kids, they court them, they send them letters, they bring them on the campus, they uh, get to go to a meal with them, they get their jersey with the in the locker room, uh, you know, they 
do the anchor down with the photo. They sign the paperwork. They're coming. And then they can't talk to them for two, three, during a dead period, even though they're signed and they're technically going to their school. Meanwhile, a major league scout, a major league scout can come to every game. He can go in their living room and talk to them. He can call the parents. He can send emails. He can do whatever he wants. uh, He or she, in this case, there's female scouts. And they can do whatever. They're not bound to any rules. They can hang out in their driveway if they want to and court the player. So it's, I know it's a frustrating thing for college coaches that there's limited. Now, there's players who are on your roster now. Of course, you can talk to those guys. But on the high school level, it's, 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 it's really a difficult situation when here's this guy that you've spent all this time with. You've gotten to know these, their parents, their brother, their sister, what the, you know, where they live, what they like to do in the, uh, off the field, all those things. And then sometimes you're the last to know when some major league scout or club swoops in and offers them a, you know, a pile of cash and you really don't, you can't have a counter offer, right, Chris? I mean, your counter offer, your offer is your offer. Your offer is you can get, you come to school. They've already worked out the money situation. These kids know what they're going to get when they come. So there's really nothing else to counter. Whereas a major league team can call them every day for seven days in a row and offer them more money uh, than they offered them the day before until they get them to say yes. So and the deadline and for our listeners too, it's August 1st, right? That That's when these people, whether they're Vanderbilt people or their current current uh, student athletes or the ones coming in, they have to make their mind up by August 1st? Uh, I'm not sure what the deadline is for this year. I'm Googling that as we thought, because the draft is later. Yeah, because it, it uh, but I'm thinking I read that, the, that's the case. It used to be years ago where it was the first day of class and you had some of these coaches literally following their star player to class to make sure he went to class and then he was on he couldn't be touched after that and so it was kind of a joke that these coaches would escort their star player and solidify that they were in class but i'm i'm pretty sure i read where it's august 1st this year instead of being like august 18th or so yeah there was one notable uh, third baseman who i think uh, got escorted to the doorway of his class because once you <laughs> <laughs> once you cross over into the classroom right. it's done that's right. right. Uh, that so, yeah, I, I can't find a date immediately for this pretty, year. Pretty uh, sure it's August 1st. Yeah, that's that's probably right. I'm, I'm glad. I'm, I'm Thankfully, it's, yeah, okay, August 1st, I found it finally, which I okay. like because I hated the, the six weeks or whatever it used to be where you just waited forever and, you know, Club slow played players, knowing what they were going to offer in the end, probably, and it just yeah, it got tiresome. But that's right, Chip. Before we move on to high school kids, let's talk about Tate Colwick because he's another one. I've not seen his name come up from the draft. He's obviously talented enough to get a minor league contract, but he's a kid that I think has a lot of potential to improve as a player next year and play a major role and. I would have to think, I'm not going to say it's a formality that will come back, but having not heard much draft talk about him, I would think there's a strong case you'll see him at Vanderbilt next year, but just is sort of a housekeeping part of this. I, I wanted to go ahead and mention him so we could acknowledge that too. I don't think he'll get drafted or, or maybe not high enough to go, but he is a kid who's draft eligible who obviously was a major part of the team this year before his injury. 
Yeah, and you look at his numbers, Chris. He hit two ninety on the year, uh, six home runs, uh, ten doubles, which is really impressive. Uh, played real solid second base. Just had that hamate problem on his hand, and anybody who's ever dealt with that can tell you it's it's something that it rarely, without just rest, it, and of course he got over that, and then had the incident. Um, was that the Georgia Tech regional when he when he um, when he yeah. slid into second base and and kind of popped it and it was the same hand. So I, I would think, I mean, he's certainly talented enough to get a look, but I think he, legally or technically, whatever the word is, he's a junior on the Vanderbilt roster. I could see him being one of these guys who takes advantage of the situation to improve himself and, um, you know, try to win back that spot at second base because there'll be – with the way the season ended sort of defensively for this team, there's going to be some people who are going to be, uh, you know, some of the players are going to be hungry to try to get those middle infield spots and including third base as well. And there could be some shuffling of the deck, but I, I do see Colwick being a guy who from where he was into the year hitting 290. I don't think that's a real testament of what he did, you know, 25 RBIs and slugging percentage of 507. I think he has a chance to improve his spot for the uh, following draft next year. Yeah, I think he does too. And with that, let's get on to the signees. They're different classes of these kids, but Jordan Lawler certainly in his own class. Some people consider him the top prospect for the draft. He's a shortstop out of Dallas who's gotten comps to Derek Jeter. And the interesting thing about him and Kylie McDaniel of ESPN spoke about this a little bit on a media chat on Thursday. Everybody's got him in the top four or five of their list, but you're seeing him five, six, seven, eight in mock drafts, which is really interesting. He's a draft eligible sophomore, so he's got more leverage than most kids out of high school. Of course, Jack Leiter was in the same boat. There's been some talk that he could price himself over what teams are willing to pay. Now, let me be clear. Do I expect to see him at Vanderbilt next year? I don't, but I don't know that it's 100% either. Yeah, he's an impressive kid. You know, prep school kid in Irving, Texas. Really smart kid from what we've been told, and I think he wrote about that on your report, which is if you're listening to this podcast and you have a chance to look at Chris's uh, detailed report on all these recruits, it's, it's great, Chris. You did a good job as always. But yeah, it, it's going kids like that. It seems like top picks that are position players have been hard to come by as far as Corbin and Crook holding on to them. The, the pitchers, when you have the track record of the David prices and Sonny gray, like we mentioned and the, the Tyler Beatties and, and lighter and rocker seems like we're able to hold on to those pitching, uh, the pitching prospects, but these kids who seem to be can't miss Middle infielders, second base, shortstop, that type of thing um, would be are, are harder to hold on to. Now you're talking about he's a shortstop. Now you, we've got a shortstop in Carter Young, uh, and and you if you're wondering if any positioning or mind games are going on in their mind, if you're lawyers Lawler's camp and saying you know well, not that he doesn't feel like he could beat out Carter Young at short and possibly move him to another position. Um, within the middle infield, but there's a little bit of that going on. I'm sure of, of, of trying to, and that, and that gets to that point of recruiting over people, you know, it's just one year after another, they, this team goes after the best players. This coaching staff goes after the best players, whoever's available, 
without really it's not like a, a football team he's, he might have four quarterbacks in their stable and they might say well we're going to give a year off for quarterbacks this year coming up we're not going to recruit a quarterback some schools recruit a quarterback every year it doesn't matter uh, some might say you know we don't need a kicker this year because we some positions are like that in football but in baseball it seems like the elite programs just if you're good enough they're going to recruit you they're going to get you to come to their place and to the best player wins. And so um, Lawler will be one to follow the first night. And uh, even if he gets drafted, I think he's probably going to want a pretty rich price. And But the money just in this situation might be just too hard to turn down uh, given this kid's uh, pedigree and, and what he's put out on the field so far. Well, no surprise. Uh, <laughs> they're going to have a few other names that, that are in that first to second round range. Uh, Joshua Baez, an outfielder, would be one of those. He's a potential first rounder. Davis Diaz, probably more like a second round guy. Of course, you never know, right? Because all it takes is one organization that thinks a guy's a first rounder when everybody else has got him as a second or third rounder. So a lot of times, even when you see a guy that's in the 60s, 70s, 80s, like Davis Diaz, sometimes that guy pops into the first round if he's got a number that clubs like. But in any case, those two, the next guys, Baez, again, an outfielder, Davis, a shortstop who can also catch. So that's sort of the next tier of players. I've seen Baez listed in a lot of mock first, so I would think he would be one who would be a tough get to campus. Yeah, and you also have the Carter Holton situation, the lefty. Uh, you've got some unique players in this draft, size-wise, too. I mean, there's there's some kids, some very impressive. I mean, Corbin and staff definitely gets, as we laugh about and you talk about in the coaching world, the, the getting off the bus team uh, is pretty, you know, the, the, just impressive just getting off the bus because uh, a lot of length in a lot of these kids, height-wise, um, pretty impressive and build. And of course there's power arms. You got kids who are, who are already throwing in the low nineties. If you look at the, the perfect game rating system, it'll show you where, how far they've come as far as velocity. And some of these kids have picked up 13, 14, 15 miles an hour of their fastball in the last 16 months, which is just really unheard of. Uh, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm sure a lot of have it is do with, with this driveline type theory of training that these some of these kids are doing i have no doubt that it does uh, they're all over the country and i'm not saying it's bad i'm just saying you don't see the uptick in velocity that you're seeing uh when you just look at the prospects it's pretty take for instance any of these kids on the pitching side from your report and you will go to the perfect game side and it'll show you it'll chart them from when they were freshmen sophomores and what their velocity was and some of the, you know, the exit speed on some of the hitters too. And it's pretty interesting to see how much it is upticked for a lot of these kids. And in the perfect game, I mean, the, you look at, uh, it, it'll show you the commitments and I'm sure there's other sites that do this, but it'll show you the commitments, Chris, for next year and the next year. And even there's one kid who's committed from the class of 2024, which I find hard to believe. Um, don't know much about that. He's from Ohio. Don't know much about him. Has his picture on there. Um, but that's God, that's amazing. That's so far off that, uh, they can identify talent and how that all works. And it's just, it's, 
it's dizzying to me to, to see how based on just again how i grew up and um the way the things are now but yeah there are a lot of names in there on those that second group and i have heard a lot of good things uh, from a, a coach here in the nashville area who has contacts with the Nash, national program that the usa baseball program about davis diaz he thought that he was somebody who could come in right away and compete uh in the middle infield spot he said he was a kid who uh the type of kid that vanderbilt recruits that type of of um guy with speed um you know compact line drive hitter who could compete immediately and and if you aren't if you're in this class and you can't compete immediately you wouldn't be in this class so um, a lot of impressive names when you go down the list. Yeah, and Holton is in that next tier of players. I would say him and two other right-handed pitchers. Well, actually, Holton's a lefty, but Michael Morales and James Peyton Smith. Uh, and then you got shortstop Jonathan Vast. I guess it's Vastini. It's spelled V-A-S-T-I-N-E. So I think those are the next group of kids you could all see them get picked in the top five rounds which once you get picked there it's tough to to turn down of course a lot of kids will throw out a number where they're a top five round selection by talent but they don't go there because organizations aren't going to meet their number so back to Carter Holton for a minute I think he's easily one of the two or three most intriguing players in this class. Maybe the most intriguing, Chip, because he's a two-way player. And we hear that mentioned a lot, right? I've heard a lot of kids that you have the two-way conversation. Grayson Moore was one last year. Grayson never got on the field as an outfielder and barely got on the field as a pitcher. So I tend to downplay that, but I think that's one where there might be some legitimacy to it. I mean, he really crushed the ball down in Georgia. His pitching was spectacular for four years. He was the Georgia State Player of the Year at all classes last year. By some folks, I know, I think it was, um, oh, not perfect game, but one of those other type organizations. And I think he gathered some other Player of the Year awards down in that state. But Holton's a kid who intrigues me because I do think he literally may have a chance to be both a pitcher and a hitter. And I think he's a kid that if he's 6'3 instead of 5'11, maybe he's going in the first round and we're not having this conversation, but he's 5'11. I think that helps Vanderbilt get him into school. He's a kid who's wanted to come there since middle school. Um, so I, to me, I'm watching where does he go and be if he gets picked. I think if it's the Braves, which is his team, it's his state, I think he's more likely to go. But that's one that I think Vanderbilt's got a fighting shot to get to campus for a number of reasons. Yeah, and he's he's one of those pitchers that we talked about that he can look at the blueprint of what they've done with these pitchers that have been through that program and and say, you know, he's about the same height as Sonny Gray, uh, maybe a, a little bit taller, but not much, maybe a half inch uh, taller. Uh, throws from the left side, though, compared to Sonny Gray. So... Yeah, he isn't, you know, the two-way player situation, it, it rarely happens these days. I'm, I'm trying to think of anybody who has done it recently that just, you know, wowed you in the, in the fact that it takes so much work to be a pitcher in this in this conference and in modern-day power programs. And we'll just have – he'll be one that will be interesting to follow. Um, got a lot of accolades uh, from both being a two-way player and extremely dominant on the mound. 
you know, one thing that popped out of me on the list, Chris, um, you know, Vanderbilt has a kid from station camp in this class and Ryan Ginther, they have a, uh, kid from East Robertson. Seems like they always do. Um, one from Clarksville, Kyle Ma- Magrins, Magrins. I don't know how to say that. He's a right-handed pitcher. Yeah. Um, Magrins, they have, um, uh, a kid from Mount Juliet and Colton region, or is it Regan? I'm not region R E G E N. It's a right-handed pitcher. Um, so one from Springfield, it's James Peyton Smith, the right-handed pitcher. So Corbin and, and his guys and, and the recruiting guys, Baxter that, you know, the, the guys who do the heavy lifting, um, Brownie that, you know, they, they managed to get their choice. It looks like of three or four guys here from the mid state. Although I'm not sure the guy from Tennessee, the going to Tennessee from beach was on the radar. If they wanted him, uh, who's, who's clocked as high as hundred miles an hour. I think this, this year, uh, the kid from beach, but you just wonder if Vitello, you know, I'm mean, Corbin's still going to get his guys, but with the resurgence of Tennessee's baseball program, you know, whether the fence around the whole state is going to last. Cause you had, I mean, pretty much Knoxville Farragut, uh, that whole area was still Vanderbilt territory. Now I bet you Tony Vitello is going to make a point that he's not going to let kids in his backyard leave. And also across the mid state, it just gives them another option. So, uh, I'm not saying three to four guys is usually you'll see recruiting class of Vanderbilt get three to four guys from the mid state area, but that's just one thing that I, that popped out at me that I'm wondering as we progress into future classes, if, you know, Vitello looks like he's going to be around for a while, how much that's going to change the recruiting landscape here for, you know, mid state, even East, East and West Tennessee. Yeah, that's a good observation. And to those mid-state kids that they've signed, I think James Peyton Smith, the only real draft risk, and opinions on him are all over the board in terms of where he'll go. Uh, you don't see him listed at all. Some places I get the impression, other places maybe he could be a second or third rounder. The thing that I hear on him, and I've never seen him, I'm just reading what I've been told, and I have heard that you know Vanderbilt's gotten some kids from that East Robertson area before you know we're talking about Will Kleinard and Luke Murphy I think he's supposed to be the most talented one of them right away but he's one that the stuff I think is good enough to get him drafted at a seven-figure level it's the mechanical stuff maybe that use some work and that's where Vanderbilt might get a break and get him to school yeah and and well those would just be names I think if people just take your list and and print it out and watch over the weekend and mark because that there'll be ones to watch and seeing how much those guys can rely on what's been done at Vanderbilt in the past and what, what can be done in their situation. But it is awful. Like I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it is very difficult for these coaches all over the country to deal with the rules that are in place uh, as far as being, you know, called incessantly by these scouts and these programs um, on a daily basis. And, even though they've signed with you, there's limitations that you can talk to them. So that's that's just seen as a, you know, I think they got the draft right this time, playing it after the College World Series. I've been begging for that for years. I know Tim Corbin has been an advocate for moving that. I think they got that done. But I really just wish they could change some of the level of the playing field a little bit. And maybe pro, MLB won't 
they might say, well, we've given given in by having the draft later. We're not going to give you anything else. And maybe that's an NCAA thing, actually. The MLB is not going to have any say-so as far as contact period. Um, but it just seems unfair that these guys can't have legally maybe they can do with inroads through a friend or a high school coach or a travel coach, but it just, there's a lot of pressure on these kids, especially these ones in this in recruiting class, as far as just weighing their options and, and being able to talk through things. I'm sure the staff has done their job as saying, we can show you 10 names that you will know immediately. And these guys all came to Vanderbilt and they were high draft picks and you can be one just like that. But when they're waving a bunch of money in your face and you could be someone who's not from a lot of money, that's a big, big um, burden to have on your shoulders. Yeah, th- those are tough decisions to make, uh, especially for families that don't have a lot of money. Uh, we've seen that play out in different ways at different times. You, you see some kids who are affluent. You know, I, I would think Lighter would be one who'd been able to make it. Uh, you've seen some guys that get money thrown at them that's – I don't know if it's life-changing money, but it's a lot more than they've ever seen. And a lot of those kids seem to be the ones who wash out, the kids who who chase the money, maybe $500,000 or under. And more often than not, it seems like those kids, I can't think of any one that is gone and taken the money out of high school instead of going to, Van- going to Vanderbilt and worked out. I'm not saying there aren't any, but it, it just seems to me like that story keeps playing out the same way where a player, Kobe Taylor would be one that comes to mind. He takes the money, goes to minor league ball, and washes out without even really getting close to the bigs. And then he loses out on the fact that he didn't get a degree. He can probably go still get a degree, but, you know, he has to pay for it. Now, a lot of these places, it's been the uh, deal for them to offer, say, we'll pay for your education. Um, we'll throw that in as kind of a carrot at the end, but it's not a Vanderbilt degree and, and uh, it's not going to have the contacts uh, that a Vanderbilt degree uh, can offer. I mean, I know that, you know, one of these things, a selling point that this program has that a lot of programs and they might have similar, but you know, there are numerous Vanderbilt baseball players who have gone on to play pro ball who have, you know, ended their career after three or four years and landed positions with Vanderbilt alumni um, that are doing really, really well. And so I'll just leave it at that. I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's totally legal, but the contacts of this university and the national contacts, and uh, there are numerous, and that's a selling point. You can say to a kid, look, you know, we, we have, we have alumni that we are, that support this program, that if you don't make it in pro baseball, we can hook you up with, with, XYZ company that's a Fortune 500 company, and and uh, that has happened. I know it's happened. I've talked to people at the College World Series, uh, shook hands with individuals that used to play for Vanderbilt and seeing what they're doing now and who they're working for was a direct contact from being at Vanderbilt University. So that is something. And, and, and I'm sure if I am a college coach trying to keep a kid um, from signing for $500,000, I'm sure they have a standard file that they pull out that they can present to these kids when they're allowed to talk to them, if, if they're allowed to, and say, you know, the basically proofs in the pudding that $500,000 in today's times doesn't last very long. You know, ask the question, well, what are you going to do with your 500000 Are you going to invest it? Are you going to buy a car? Or are you going to, you know, all, you know, what do you, how long do you think you can live on $500,000? And the answer is in today's time, you can't with the way of the world, inflation and 
things what things cost and and um eight nine million dollars that's one thing but a half a million dollars in today's money after taxes and you're living on twelve hundred dollars a month playing single a baseball uh you better be able to you know uh, afford to do something else manage your money well have someone to manage it for you because if you don't you could end up without a college degree having to pay for it by yourself and uh out of baseball too okay i think the next class of kids uh well actually let's wrap up the last two michael morales a kid that showed out at the east coast prep showcase I think that was last August, did really well. And so I think if you're a scout there watching that, and that's who you think he is, that one may be tough to get to campus. Uh, Vastine or Vastini, however you pronounce it, a really kind of polished player, not standout tools, it sounds like. Good defender, uh, nice bat, kind of a line drive type hitter, it sounds like to me. He's a kid that a lot of schools, or excuse me, a lot of organizations like because he's polished, he's smart, he's a hard worker. So I think an organization that values that, he might be one that you have to watch. And then the next class of players, James Peyton Smith, I didn't really mention him. Uh, He's one who, I I think, or did we mention him? I guess we did. We mentioned him a little bit. Yeah, okay. There's so many kids on this list. Okay, the next group of players, Matt Polk is not a player that I can find a lot about. Fangraphs tied him potentially to the A's, ESPN, put him in his, or excuse me, in their top 200, which was interesting. Uh, He's a shortstop, might be an outfielder. Grayson Carter, not a player with a lot of info on. Uh, B.A. had him 167 in its draft rankings, so he's a pitcher who they could lose. Devin Futrell, an interesting one, uh, who's got a lot of talent ranked by MLB, B.A., and Perfect Game, all within, uh, well, let's see, MLB 224, Perfect Game 222, and then Miles Langhorn. A guy that if you'd read local stuff, they were talking about him being a high pick. He didn't make the MLB 250. He's 393 in Baseball America. He's a Pennsylvania right-hander and a very good player, but he had some arm issues that got him shut down, I think, in early June. So that's really the next tier of players. J.D. Rogers, a guy uh, that might fall in there too. Hard to find a lot about him. He's an outfielder out of Carmel, Indiana. Went to the same high school that Conrad Gregor did. That's a lot to bite off there, Chip. But that's sort of the next group of tiers uh, of kids who could get drafted. And I'm trying to think uh, the Gordon kid. Rob Gordon, another one, a shortstop. Uh, reviews on him in terms of a prospect in terms of seeing him in mock drafts and stuff like that are all over the place. Ryan Ginther, another kid from station camp, uh, won a local kid who you've seen some talk about him as a pro prospect. He's only 5'11", 200 pounds, but he's pretty polished. So I think those are the rest of the names of kids that you could see drafted. I'm not saying you won't see some other guys on the list drafted, but as I've done my research, which took me a few hours of looking here and there, oh, Anthony Migliaccio, another one, switching and catcher. I think they'll probably get him through, uh, but, uh, boy, that's a lot of names. But I think that's the next group of kids where you could see some of them go off the board and maybe others not. 
Yeah, and I, I just suggest everyone to go to your uh, your page and, and and your board and look at the article because you did a lot of work on it, and it's it's almost dizzying uh, just <laughs> to think about these kids with you know you've rated them moderate and low and high and very high as far as their draft risk, and just to see you know who's out there. You know, Enrique Bradfield was a a very highly touted prospect, but no one, and I mean that he did not have any, I'm just giving you this comparison of some of these kids, even the, the lower draft risk. No one had Enrique Bradfield Jr. penciled in to doing what he did this year. So there's going to be guys who, just because they don't get drafted or get drafted in the position that they you know, thought they would or what have you, they end up going to college and they show out, and the next thing you know, he's the mo- one of the more talked-about players, and he's leading off for a team that finished runner-up at the College World Series. So a lot of talent there, Chris. It's um, a lot of pitching talent, a lot of athletic-looking kids for the you know next couple years, and you know, for the last couple years in a row, it seems like the last decade in a row, uh, the decade or so that – uh, you know, you got the East Coast flavor of the Massachusetts area up there, Connecticut. He, Corbin's always got ties up there and he's going to get the better players. He's got the couple from Florida like he always gets uh, sprinkled in California and Colorado, Alabama. And of course, he's got the the mid-state flavor that he always has at three or four. So a pretty much typical Tim Corbin staff. And now we just got to see how it shakes out and who leaves and Talk about being dizzy. I mean, I, I cannot imagine the whiteboard. I'm sure one exists uh, of trying to piece this thing together once the dominoes fall, because it's got to be uh, it, it's got to be something that you lose sleep over because you just don't know. And the in the perfect year, I harken back to years when it's never really going to happen here at a Vanderbilt. I don't think it, it, but there are years I've seen where college programs just get devastated by a, a draft year gone wrong. And when I mean a draft year gone wrong is everybody signs. When I mean everybody, I'm talking about 75% of their class signs. I don't think we're in that world today. Um, I think the world's changed from what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago, even back to my playing days. But I've seen some guys have six successful seasons, some head coaches who did really, really well, and they go out there and they almost recruited too well they recruited too well and and got guys that they were not signable in the long run. And they all went and 75% of them and they're left trying to scramble at the last minute, trying to find some replacements and they couldn't find them. And two years later they got fired because their next couple years teams uh, were not as good as they projected. So I don't think that's a problem ever here, but I'm sure it's something that you just, the stars align one year and, and some guys get drafted in positions where they didn't think. And, and, uh, but I think the positive thing that Vanderbilt has going for them is that, as I've said, that experience of having that pitching experience at Vanderbilt being so valuable and paying off in the long run, long run, if they can keep them on campus. Well, two quick things before we move to the mailbag, Enrique Bradfield Jr., a year ago, the conversation was nothing along the lines of this kid's going to come in and be an everyday center fielder and have a 451 on base percentage. The, the narrative was more around, hey, this guy's fast and he can bunt. And so I'm just right. thinking, you've seen guys like that or a dime a dozen. I mean, I think Alonzo Jones was more highly rated than he was coming in. The same type of speed and skill set in a way, but maybe there was some pop there. So I don't think anybody a year ago 
saw this coming from Bradfield that I remember. So there's that. The other thing, you use the word dizzying a few times. It really is that because I'd Google all these guys to try to find out what was being said locally. Of course, I looked at BA and Perfect Game and all the sources out there where they have draft ratings and prospect ratings and those sorts of things. But what made it tough was you would see a kid that get written up. Langhorn, great example, right? One of the local guys up in Pennsylvania talked about how there'd be 20 scouts come to see him pitch. Well, didn't he make the MLB top 250? He's three-something in Baseball Americas. He's not listed in ESPN's top 200. I mean, that description of the atmosphere around him sounds like a guy that's a top five rounder. Then you looked at the rankings that didn't match up. Again, different era. You know, most of 2020 was wiped out by COVID, if not all of it some places. Uh, COVID policies and restrictions made it difficult to see players this year. Scouts probably had twice the work to do uh, because they had to to fill in on background and get info where they could when they couldn't see games in 2020 and probably stuff that I can't even think of. Point here being, it just is so hard to determine where a player ranks when you see things that are on the ground close to it that talk about a bunch of scouts being places and watching him play and being impressed, but then not seeing a player show up in the rankings. Uh, It just is going to be a really interesting draft because I've kind of got my opinions and my tears based on what I've assimilated for everywhere I can get things. But to say that I have formed those opinions with a big degree of certainty would be a lie. Yeah. And you don't know you, you really, what it depends on what you're reading you might have uh, a kid from Connecticut or Massachusetts and you're reading the local information about them or a regional publication about them and it might be slanted a certain way. And then there have been, of course, some people who say that certain areas of the country, you've seen it even kids um, moving from the east to the Georgia area or Florida to play high school baseball their last two years because they know it's another another brand of baseball that's elevated. So you wonder if areas of the country and it matter because it does. And I mean, there are, if you, it's just based on how often you can get outside that you can play more in tournaments and get more, get polished. And as far as pitching and and your hitting stroke, when you're not dealing with 12, 13 inches of snow uh, in March and you can't get outside soon enough. So there's a lot about that to deal with that. And and the the Bradfield issue, I I, I almost want a kid you you just crave kids like him. I mean, Bradfield weighs 155 pounds, supposedly. Imagine what he can do if he can keep his speed. If he's, you know, I'd love to see him 175 um, with muscle on, you know, where, with a little more pop in his bat and without losing the speed. And it's those kids that you know the developmental stage of what these recruits coming in, how they can be developed by uh, this staff uh, that's, that's the carrot that that some of these kids can be talented and they come and that's when their talent really starts to shine and where they can become even more of a, a better draft position than they ever were out of high school after their two or three years at Vanderbilt. Okay. Baseball America has dropped the mock draft. It got in my inbox. I think as we've been doing this podcast and for what it's worth, latest mock draft, this only goes the first round. It has Jordan Lawler going to, excuse me, two to the Rangers, lighter four to the Red Sox, and Rocker seven to the Royals. Interesting. Okay. Well, I was thinking lighter was pretty much a lock with uh, the Rangers at two. Uh, in, and and what do you? And I'm I'm not 
when you said some deals broke. I don't. I'm not a privy to that. How does that work? Do you know? I mean, what do they mean by deals being? Are they just saying that perhaps Leiter would say he wouldn't sign with the Rangers if they drafted him, or or how all does that work? No, I, I don't. That? I don't. I want to be careful. I don't want to imply anything, right? But you know yeah. how this works as well as I know. Uh, a club has got a number in mind of what it wants to spend on a guy. A family's got a number in mind of what it wants. There's communication that goes on. However, that happens, and teams get a pretty good idea of whether what they're looking for and what the family's looking for are in line. And then, of course, you have stuff like the Orioles last year where we all figured, okay, looks like Austin Martin's the number two player in the draft. Everybody figured the Orioles would sign him. Well, no, they signed Heston Kerstad, pocketed a couple million dollars in slot for that pick or so. I don't remember the exact number. And then applied it down the draft or tried to to other kids it picked. So I don't know how that all works out, but it just was interesting to me. And I'd heard some talk of that too, uh, about Boston felt like the landing spot for him uh, for whatever reason. So that's all I know. I'm, I don't mean to imply I know more than I'm saying, but yeah. I, I, you know, we do watch these things because again, we know these guys, they talk to scouts, they talk to front offices, sometimes they're working on inside info, and when you see players continually in a spot to a particular team over and over across mock drafts, uh, it, it tells you something's up. Now, sometimes that might be a scouting thing, too, like some organizations might like to take college pitchers, some might like to take high school bats. That plays into it, too, but uh, the, the point is... Um, there, there was some thought that there was some point of agreement with, with the Lighters and the Red Sox. Again, whether that is true or not, I'm not claiming that, but it's interesting when guys pop up in mock drafts yeah. to the same team over and over. So Yeah, and 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 the and the rocker situation I've read some articles here lately about that. And you know, it's the business side of it, Chris. And these these guys, um much like, you know, you see those pictures of the football um, combines in Indianapolis the last couple of years when they're, I mean, essentially, you know, dragged in with a number, a generic number on a t-shirt and literally like a piece of meat. I mean, it is a commodity. It is a bit, this is when you really learn the business side of it. And there was an article I read about, you know, has Kumar Rocker been just over scrutinized because his name has been up there about what he did with the no hitter against Duke and his performance in the college world series in 2019 and a premier name uh, at Vanderbilt and in this league and what he's done for sec baseball and on the national level. And there's so much scrutiny about, you know, wh what about his elbow position and he's late, he's late opening up and, and, and what about his velocity? Are we concerned about him? you know, fading velocity velocity compared to what he was two years ago. I mean, just that's when you really get a grip on, and it is a business and shit, you know, it's re I'm sure those guys get it, but to the casual fan and you read up this, I mean, they're going to try to find every single personality flaw, whether you're a good teammate or not, uh, whether you are, uh, if your velocity, as far as mechanics and your, and, and your speed dropped, anything they could pick up, to make their decision uh, better in their case or to give you less money, what have you. It's just, it's part of it. And it's one of those things that when you sign up for it, um, it, it is part of, of the, what happens when you want to become a, a major league baseball player.
Let's go ahead and grab a few questions in the mailbag. Our mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, call Taylor or Russell at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Well, I don't know that we're going to have a great answer to this one, but Baseball Bros asked, which top high school prospects do you think will make it to campus? Of those who you think will, who excites you the most? Well, I, we've, we covered a lot of those in our discussion a few minutes ago. And, and to think of um, without – and that maybe is a discussion post-draft, Chris. Don't you agree? Because, I, you know, and we might not even know then. But, I mean, there's so much talent on this group. I and mean, was it top one or two in the country, uh, recruiting class? Um, but I'm, I'm interested in a few of the arms and whether those guys make it here – I'm also interested to see, uh, you know, middle infield help. I'm looking for where the holes to plug. Shortstop, third, second, like we talked about. Not saying those guys are going to get beat out, but some competition for those spots. Um, and and that, that's what my main uh, and and with and I can sit here and say, oh, uh, you know, I think that, you know, X player is going to be, um, you know, Carter Holton is going to come in and be a lefty pitcher and. And he's going to dominate and be a two-way player. But, I mean, if he doesn't show up, what difference does it make? We don't really know. So um, I think we addressed it pretty much a few minutes ago. There's, there's a lot of talent on this group uh, that, um, if they make it to campus, can make this team right back in the hunt next year. Okay, Theodore says, who are the recruits who, if they were able to make it to campus, would stand to contribute substantially as freshmen? Who would contribute respectively, or how would each one contribute respectively? For example, regular starter, DH, occasional reliever. I've got some opinions on that because uh, that, that's a tough question with a lot to bite off. And basically, I form my opinions after watching fall ball. I've got some ideas on how I might answer that, but I'll let you tackle it first. Well, anytime you look at, there's always a freshman pitcher who has come on the last couple of years, who's stepped up and, and done really well and, and been in the rotation maybe by March or April. Uh, and, and so as far as contributing right away, I mean, there's guys on the list last year who or the last couple of years who were no longer there that we thought they would. It's just fall ball is a time when that's felt, you know, I think that's, we talked about Christian little missed that fall ball season because he was still in high school and sure he caught on and um, was able to adapt and pitched quite a bit, but he missed that fall time. Like you're talking about. So, uh, I mean, I, I could say any of the guys, I mean, you would say, um, you know, again, come back to Holton, you know, where, where would he come into as far as the staff? Um, you know, you, you, you talk about some of the middle infielders, you, you know, Jordan Lawler, they could get him, but I mean, it's going to be pretty difficult, but that's a game changer if that kid comes on. And um, again, we're talking on supposeds here because it, it, we could sit there and plug every one of these guys in a backup or a starting role or taking over this position in the infield, whatever. But without knowing, we're just talking in the dark here. Um, I am a little intrigued, as I mentioned, as a, a player who uh, the, the Davis Diaz kid from California if if he can be somebody who could step right in, um, I, I know they're very high on him and some people I've talked to are as well. Um, so uh, that would be one I would think. And as far as into the other pitching depth, you, you, you just wonder if they're going to be some guys who's, you know, James Payton Smith, if, if, you know, he's listed as a high draft pick, but 
one of those East Robertson boys who come in and, and do really well and seem to adapt quickly to pitching in the SEC. So that's just a couple names that, uh, again, once again, it depends on all who shows up. Yeah, my ones, I, I think Carter Holton, for a lot of reasons, he's a lefty, which they don't have a lot of. Speaking of that, Ryan Ginther, and I've not seen him pitch. He's a station camp kid. I'm just going on what has been said. It sounds like he's a more polished guy. That's the language a lot of teams seem to use out about Mason Hickman or a lot of people in the industry did a few years back. Obviously, if Lawler came to campus, and by the way, Keith Law apparently said today, if he gets out of the top six, there's probably a decent chance he's headed to Vandy. So mm. that that would be super interesting. Obviously, yeah. he'd be an impact guy right away somewhere. I don't think they bump Carter Young off short, but maybe they they put him at second and and throw Colwick back in the outfield if he comes back. Uh, so those are just some of the ones that come to mind for me. The, the language I look at is polish, right? Because there's a lot of pitchers who come in and throw really hard and have a have a breaking ball that's really got some movement. But doing that and throwing it for strikes in the SEC, that's a big leap a lot of times. And so I'm always looking to an answer to that question. My influence is going to be who's more polished right now, not necessarily – who is the biggest upside MLB draft guy long-term? It's it's who's more ready now, and that's what helped Mason Hickman get a role immediately a few years back. Right, well, that makes a lot of sense because you, you've got um, – there's a difference between, as we talked about in the past, pitching and throwing. And a lot of these kids come in as, as pure throwers, and once they get into the system, they can learn how to truly pitch in this league. And there's a, there's a big difference trying to go up against uh, kids, you know, other – other players in the SEC, when you're just a thrower, when you're a pitcher, you can know. And I think that's what the success of Jack Leiter. He was a student of the game. He knew he he studied hitters. He knew tendencies, and of course, got a lot of that from his father and the way he was brought up. Okay, this one Theodore Eight asks, or excuse me, this is View Titans. What is your opinion on ESPN's Kyler McDaniel saying in his latest mock draft that Rocker is looking more like a number three starter? Than an ace. I didn't see that. Now I'm reading the one that he did today, and I'm doing this as we're podcasting because I think this just dropped today and I didn't know it. He's now got Rocker at two to the Rangers. That's interesting. Mm. Ahead of Lighter. And of course, we're talking about different guys. So this is this is his. But he has an interesting thing in here, and I'll just read a couple sentences. Verbatim, I think the pendulum on Rocker may have swung too far the other way. He was never the slam dunk 1-1 guy. Some people assumed he was after his freshman year, but he has few equals in this draft for size, stuff, and athleticism, and he's been a guy, capital G-U-Y, for four years now. There were critics of Justin Verlander and Garrett Cole in their draft years for lack of command. Verlander walked too many guys. Cole's fastball was hit too hard, and so on. Uh, and then he goes on to say some other things. I won't read the whole thing because it's behind a paywall, but it's interesting how his take on that was a little different. And look, these guys sometimes may have different takes on different days. I mean, you're, you're going to get picked apart when you're this level of draft. And I think the pendulum swinging is an interesting comment. And I think it's a good one, too. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're if you're comparing the Kumar Rocker against East Carolina, the Super Regional, with the one that, that was in Omaha, and his performances in Omaha, it's two different. I'm not saying they're night and day, 
But if I'm a scout and I'm looking how he pitched in Nashville against ECU, uh, that was extremely impressive. Um, he did have some outings this year. I think I'm not saying going through the motions is what he did. I, I didn't particularly like his effort in Gainesville. Um, I thought that was a little more of, uh, I'm, I'm not sure what that was. It was right around, um, you know, right after the exam period. And, 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 uh, you know, there were some times when I think velocity was an issue. I think rocker can throw harder than he does. He's a big guy. You know, I mean, there's no time he's got genetics like his father. I mean, he looks like a football player. If you, if you walked around and around fellow NFL players, he's got that body. And some people think that's a detriment almost. You wonder if a rocker, you know, 15, 20 pounds lighter, what that would do. Because, I mean, his his legs are enormous, and that's where you get the power from. But you're wondering if maybe a little leaner, lighter uh, rocker uh, when he gets into the pros uh, would would serve him well. Not sure. I've heard, I've seen a couple reports about that. Once again, I'm talking like the whole piece of meat thing, which is awful. But this is it's what it is. Um, and I've heard people say that. So, Rocker has the tools to be anywhere, and I I think he won't last past eight with the Royals. I think he'll be one of the top slots. I think if you know you can't really judge Rocker on what he did, especially the last game, four days rest, long season. Uh, I would more look at what his entire body of work, um, and, and I think that's warranted of a of a top eight pick. Okay, last little housekeeping on the Athletics mock draft. Uh, and then again, this again, this is Keith Law. Uh, he's got Lawler going to the Diamondbacks at six. He says, I'll offer this prediction as well. If Lawler doesn't go in the first six picks, he goes to Vanderbilt and tries to be 1-1 in 2023 and then again mentions the draft eligibility thing. Yeah, so yeah. they've got they've got lighter four. Excuse me, Red no, they've Tiger. got lighter three to, to the Tigers. Hmm. Uh, so we've seen one. so we've seen two, three, and four. We've seen we've seen uh, two to the uh, Rangers. We've seen three to the Tigers, and we've seen four to the Red Sox. That's you know, interesting. It, it is, and I think, and I don't remember if it was Kylie McDaniel or someone else. Just talked about how it's really such a crapshoot. There's like eight guys sort of in that top group. The other ones would be Henry Davis, the catcher at Louisville, Khalil hmm. Watson, the shortstop from North Carolina who's an NC State commit. Uh, Brady House, the shortstop. I think he's the kid that's uh, the UT commit. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know that it is as set as whatever you see in the, the latest mock draft. I, I don't know that there is a, and and maybe I'm mangling the, the words here, but I don't know if there's a consensus Trying to paraphrase what I've what I've seen other people say, I, I think that's the way I interpreted it. Yeah, and it's just gonna be fun to watch. It'll be entertaining, uh, and I would pay very much. A very, you know, Vanderbilt fans will be very attuned to those first ten picks because a lot can happen. Um, you know, there's zero chance of keeping lighter and rocker. It's just gonna be interesting to see where they go. But as you mentioned uh, with Lawler and and that situation, a lot of stuff for Vanderbilt fans to watch and, and see how the dominoes fall. Okay, a few more. Chester Copperpot says, will Jordan Lawler hit 420 home runs and win a defensive gold glove at shortstop as a true freshman 
for the Vandy boys. I'm going to take the no on that for a couple of reasons. <laughs> First of all, I don't think he hits there. Second of all, I think 420 homers is 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 uh, is quite a projection. I, I think there's some some tongue in cheek to this question, yeah, knowing that the, so. the one who asked it. But uh, just <laughs> wanted to get that out there. Let's see. Theodore says, since all college players received an extra year of eligibility, do prospects have more leverage to sign for full slot value this year? We kind of talked about that. The question goes on a little longer. It just asks about the residual effects of COVID. Uh, great question. I don't have a great answer, but I would think common sense would tell you that gives you more leverage. I would think so. Um, but, the, you know, you and I mentioned that in the beginning, and maybe all fair, I'm not sure. You know, if they reclassify some of these kids and, you know, Rodriguez ends up being um, a sophomore again, he could get drafted three more times and be a catcher for Vanderbilt for four years. Uh, and, you know, if he doesn't like where he's drafted, he just comes back. And if he doesn't like where he's drafted the next year, he comes back and he'd still only be a junior technically. So that's a question I, I really wish. And maybe you can call over there, Chris. I don't know. You would, would talk to the powers that be. Um, how they're planning on doing that with some of these kids. Is it a choice? Are they just going to let them just flow on three through and keep their um, eligibility as far as classification of what year they are? Uh, are they going to handle it on a case by case basis? That might be something you could dig into. Um, if everybody's not on vacation, I'm sure they are, they got camps and stuff going over there, but I would be, I would be interested in finding out how they're going to handle that. I talked to Tim privately about this probably this time last year. Mm -hmm. And his answer, basically, I don't want to give away the whole conversation, was, look, things have got to keep flowing at one point, right? Yeah, you can't, yeah. Because you get really messed up down the line with roster limits, all those things. And, and what did you see happen next, right? Where you saw a lot of other places where guys came back as fourth, fifth, sixth-year guys, you saw Ty Duvall and Harrison Ray take their 20K each and move on. And both those kids were players who would have been starters last year. To me, when that happened, with that buffer, with that conversation I had with him, that I, I, now look, I, I'm not going to tell you that something hasn't happened to change his thinking on some of that since. And I think especially if you see a kid get hurt or he's a leader or whatever, every situation is different. But I think that was his mindset a year ago, and you saw what happened with their fourth-year guys. And to me, that's probably indicative of how he will handle this moving forward. Yeah, and you look at what Mississippi State did with their guys, their older guys that came back. I mean, you look at what happened in 2019 with the Vanderbilt team who had – Seniors on that team, granted it was pre-COVID, but anytime your team gets a little older, uh, there's some benefit to them if they can provide uh, that, you know, something in, in an area of need, of great need. And Mississippi State took advantage of that this year. Uh, so I would say probably the answer would be on a case-by-case -case basis. I don't think, I think you got to keep the, as you talked about, the boat going down the river. You can't have a log jam where you're going to have all of a sudden, um, you're going to have, you know, 10 seniors in a class or whatever, uh, for whatever reason. So I think that's be the case. As we're talking through this, I hate to keep going back to Lawler, but that kid 
he's got to have more leverage than any prospect ever. Because, okay, A, you're you're maybe the best player in the draft, so you know you can command a lot of money. B, you're a draft-eligible sophomore, so you could do this again in two years. If you don't like that, you can do it again after your junior year. And, yep. and have the normal leverage that everybody does. And then there's always year four, which nobody in that stature does. I mean, you might see it one time out of 500 or something with an elite guy. It, it, probably not that much, but it's it's 99% of the time, you know, the, the elite guys are not going to come back for a senior year. I'm talking about the guys that can make, you know, two, three million or more. But it really is a unique situation. You don't normally see a guy in that spot where he really holds all the cards. Yeah, a whole lot of leverage. And, and you compare it to what Jack Leiter's situation, you know, Jack Leiter, and it's been talked about, there's been, you know, video of talking to his dad and to, to Leiter himself. And, you know, he was not, no one ever knew, they knew he was going to have a, he had a good arm, but he grew so much at his junior and senior year of high school that there wasn't this situation like the position player that Lawler is where there was going to be that, you know, he just came to Vanderbilt hoping to pitch and look what he did and, and how he grew over that, you know, 24 month period. So I would say that, yeah, Lawler has a lot of, a lot of the cards are in his favor to do a bunch of different things and we'll see how he plays it. Okay. I think we have taken a stab at this and other portions of the podcast, but I'll ask it out of courtesy. View Matt 23 says, which of the higher, School prospects are guys who wouldn't play right away but have huge potential down the line. Uh, that, that's just hard to answer. Again, I base a lot of my feeling on fall ball and watching the scrimmages. Those are a really good indication. The, the, those have almost always been a good harbinger to me of what's coming. And it's just hard for me to make that statement and form an opinion until I see those guys here on campus and watch them with my own eyes. Right. It, it, it is impossible to say, Chris, just how they're going to adapt in the environment, the college environment. And I think that's great that they play those games that they've done the last two years, uh, the Oklahoma State Series, uh, to do that. Um, I think that's extremely beneficial to see how they, they do against really good competition. So uh, I'm just going to defer that to you and what you said. I, it's, uh, I think that um, – until we get them on campus, it's hard to tell. Theodore 8, and this will be our last question, asks, do you think the new name, image, and likeness rules change the calculus for some very highly rated high school recruits, just enough to tip the balance in Vanderbilt's favor, or for other schools for that matter? It seems to have, in the case of Scotty Pippen, so I'm wondering if it might for a Lawler-type prospect. That's a great question. Yeah, and and it's the Nashville's the type of town. I'm not saying it wouldn't be a national issue that someone couldn't be attracted on what's offered on the NIL, but as far as Nashville, Tennessee, there's a show. There's a lot of growth and new companies coming here, and um, you know, I'm I'm still on the on the sidelines looking and seeing how that would how how that's going to play, and I think Vanderbilt's going to have to. Uh, if they don't already, and I'm sure they they're smart enough to do so, really have someone in charge over there in a position like some of these other schools to direct these kids. Cause you don't want to, 
you know, I've seen a lot of tweets and, and comments from people who are, have played the game, uh, who are pros now, who are warning college kids and high school kids and just to be careful that they don't, you know, that becomes the paramount thing that they're worried about side deals of it's something I'm sponsoring. And then, you know, I'm, I'm in, I'm a Vanderbilt second baseman and I'm in Gainesville this weekend. I got to make sure I put out my tweets this weekend about XYZ company back in Nashville, because that's the deal I brokered, you know, and, and, and you got to think this has got to be frustrating for Tim Corbin because it's he it is a pretty controlling environment over there, which I think is good. It's proven to be at Vanderbilt University and under the way they do things, it, the model has worked. But to do to have your mind on something else other than the game is a little bit worrisome to me. Uh, and 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 it's going to be you know I mean Clark Lee's probably going to have to deal with. It. They're all you know Jerry Stackhouse. Uh, you know, this is a growing city with growing industry and where that would happen. Um, I don't see anybody in Nashville, Tennessee doing what the University of Miami did and saying, all right, Vanderbilt baseball team of 40, I'm going to give you $500 each each month to make sure that on your Twitter page, you uh, you talk about this car dealership that I've got. And, and you know, I, I, I still it's all too new to me. Um, and I don't know if it's your thoughts about it. You can close with it. But um um, I'm not saying Vanderbilt's late to the party. They better get to the party, though, and figure it out because it it could be used uh, against them if they don't. And and some people might say, gosh, th- they could use it to their total advantage with the amount of people moving here and what they could do to, to get more exposure to the program. But I'm still sort of in a wait and see to answer the question and see just how it's going to funnel out. But they, I will say they better be ready to react because I think you and I've had this discussion. It's the reality of 2021 and beyond. I think what I just heard you say is that Jordan Lawler is going to be endorsing Frederick Clark next year. (laughs) Right. I was, I was thinking of, you know, or Enrique Bradfield, um, you know, uh, having him in a commercial of stealing second base. And uh, of course that's not, you know, uh, you know, stealing home or, you know, your next home purchase should be, you know, I mean, just, <laughs> and it's kind of humorous. I mean, but the, the different things and some of them are, it doesn't have to be that, you know, you have to pigeonhole them into what the person's attributes are that they're fast or uh, it, it, it could go in a number of ways, but yeah, there's uh, I don't think any of those guys are buying houses yet. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but they might, might one day if, if this class is as talented as a, seem to be and there are a lot of these guys moving back to Nashville that that could be you know you never know Chris I think they should recreate the Willie Mays Hayes American (laughs) Express commercial from Major League with Enrique Bradfield right right it it could be it could be a number of things but um I think it's a little troubling to see what the U has done down in Miami just giving everybody on the football team 500 bucks a month to endorse that MMA facility down there. Wow. I mean, that is not what I thought this was going to end up being. And it, that's a, that was a, a shot off the bow of the boat on like the day one or two. Um, I don't know. I, 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 do you see that happening in Nashville, Tennessee? I I wonder how this is going to go because I'm with you. I think Tim is going to be cautious about whatever. But I mean, let's think about this for a minute, okay? Let's say that Jack Leiter had had some sort of endorsement 
with Rawlings or pick a company, right? I mean, that would have gotten all kinds of play the last month. It would be getting play in the draft right now. I mean, it would it would be all over the place. They get kids who are mostly marketable. You've got the elements of the city and all sorts of things. I mean, I would think, you know, in addition to their 50 scholarships, um, they would be <laughs> potentially as suited to capitalize on this as anyone. Yeah. Well, um, I'm just sort of waiting for some announcement to happen, uh, in possibly over there uh, from the athletic department. You would hope that, you know, uh, I just want to see, and, I, and of course, how Tim Corbin would react. And I know there hadn't been a press conference since the CWS finals, but that would be a great question to ask him and how they plan on doing it. You know, there's, um, you know, he has a pretty, um, he's been there and he has the leeway and the rope and long enough rope to sort of judge things and how he, he, um, would handle things. And I, and once again, I said at the beginning of the conversation, when the question was asked, it's just a, it's a distraction. It could be a distraction for some of these kids coming in and you wonder, I've often wondered this as some guy gets, you know, Let's just pretend that the kid at TSU, the the son of the rapper, he's playing basketball at TSU, was on the Vanderbilt baseball team instead of basketball, and he got a $2 million, $2.5 million endorsement deal. Well, everybody's going to know it on the team. And, and you know, he says he's going to handle the money. He's going to be smart with it. He's going to invest it. Okay, that's all good and said and done, but it's just different. It's different. You know, that that team tries to make a little, everyone seem to be it's family atmosphere. Everybody's together and there, you know, there's no one better than another one. And he really is preached, I think. And then you get a guy who's making two and a half million dollars in an endorsement deal. And all of a sudden that, does that change kids a little bit? Does he start driving a different car? Does he start, does he buy a condo and he's living in a condo? He's not living on campus anymore with the, with the rest of his buddies, he said, coach, I'm going to live. I'm going to buy a condo. You know, those are the questions you got to ask for the guys who are getting the real top shelf deals. And how's it going to affect team? First thing he said about Kamar Rocker in his press conference was he's all team. He's this kid's all team. It's been all team for the years he's been here. Well, you just wonder if the distraction of some of these kids getting these deals and that they're going to get, how's that going to affect team? Uh, how's that going to affect you? It's human nature that it could possibly. So let's not ignore it. Let's don't let's act like that was well, just going to be swept under the rug. Um, and, and how's that going to be handled? And your guess is as good as mine. Can you think of any recent instances where, um, you know, a person's quest for publicity is, has been a distraction at Vanderbilt? <laughs> I mean, th- uh, thankfully, that would never happen at Vanderbilt, right? Where that would never overrun a situation and, and teammates or anything like that. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Oh, man. I, it's it's on the tip of my tongue, but it just, you know. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that would be, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, it, um, you wonder where that situation would have gone to. So, yeah, that, that, that's a good point. Well, my um the espies would like a word here right yeah. right right my 50 cent advice is is that and they don't need any advice over there the baseball program do, doesn't but um as this thing chugs along and and gains momentum um there's going to be people reaching out that have never 
reached out before and you just don't want to get bad advice from somebody and have it be a distraction distraction of your play. And I think I trust him can handle that. He's always has, but this has got to be uncharted waters uh, for him. And it's just something different to a guy who definitely does not like distractions in his program. All right. Well, Chip, I'll give you the final word to talk about Frederick and Clark, announce any pending endorsements you may have in the pipeline, whatever you want to go with the, yeah, so, you know, we, if, if we get these top, uh, these guys, you know, coming into school, uh, who skip the draft, we might have to talk about it. And, uh, you know, instead of taking the money, uh, to, to get these guys at some open houses, how about that? And, and, and maybe sign a few autographs, <laughs> but I'm, again, and I say that laughingly, but it, it, what is to keep from stuff like that happening, um, uh, in, in any sport and it's just uncharted waters, but, uh, Speaking of which, speaking of the housing industry, I'll just close by talking a little bit about our real estate firm with Vanderbilt Connections Galore with Whit Clark and and my brother Steve and myself and my late father Jerry played uh, basketball and baseball there in the 50s. We are your source for for real estate needs in Nashville. Um, appreciate all the feedback that I received in Omaha. Ran into a listener of your podcast who said that. Um, my being on the podcast did not sell her uh, on Frederick and Clark. She already was sold on it and, and, and named a realtor that she used uh, and has used multiple times. So it's great to know that we're already connected in the community and have been since the early 1960s. You can look up her website at frederickandclark.com. Give me a call personally or Wick Clark and my brother Steve, and we'll be happy to hook you up with one of our 185 agents strong and two offices, one in Brentwood, one in Nashville in the green Hills area. We're two blocks West of the mall and help you navigate this crazy. And we talk about dizzying list of recruits coming in and the dizzying list of players that could be drafted. Well, speaking of that, the real estate market here is still causing people to be quite dizzy. So we can help alleviate those problems get you through the buying and selling process. Give us a call. Check us out on the web. We've got an interactive site. You can check out inventory in your neighborhood or a neighborhood where you want to move. So that's, again, frederickandclark.com. And let's keep our fingers crossed on the, on the draft. It should be fun to watch. Yeah, and we'll talk about it when it's done. All right, Chris. Good talking to you. All right. He's Chip Frederick. I'm Chris Lee. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast. We'll be back with more episodes next week.